0: So a number of years ago, a woman said to me about her husband who didn't attend church with her, she said, oh, he's a believer, he's just not a follower. (laughs) And I, I, to this day, don't know exactly what that meant. I'm not sure you can do one without the other, but I think, by the way, we're giving back to God. If you're a guest, don't worry about this. It's for us as a church family to say thanks for all God's provision and goodness to us. And, uh, and so I, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that you can truly be a believer and not be a follower. If you truly understand what Christ has done uh, and you believe that it was done for you, then there seems to be some kind of response that needs to happen. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. One of the responses I think we should have to being a believer. Uh, but first, uh, did I ever tell you guys about the time I met Morgan Freeman? No. No? So, uh, so we're both at this charity event. It was actually a, a showing of a documentary uh, for a, a charity that we care about. And uh, and, and so we arrive, and they, they kind of um, uh, you know do greeting time, whatever, and they... Uh, put it, in this into the, the, the theater, uh, viewing room, whatever. And, and, uh, and so in comes this uh, gentleman, sits down next to me, and he says, uh, he says, hi, I'm Morgan. Now, I need to tell you before I tell you the story, that I, so people react weird when you meet famous people, right? Someone, an autograph, oh my gosh, it's you, it's you, yes, yeah, uh, right? Or, or they want to, they want a picture with them, whatever it is. So I act weird too. I act like I don't know who they are. I I don't know why I do that, but I do. When I meet somebody famous, I act like I don't know they're famous. So like one time I was at the airport in St. Louis, and and it was an aging kind of teeny bopper kind of star, you know what I'm saying? Like they were a little past their prime, still trying to hang on, you know what I'm saying? And uh, and so he sits down next to me in in the airport waiting for a flight, and I kind of go, yeah. And and I realized who it was immediately, but he doesn't know that I know who he is, and he needs me to know who he is. And so for an hour, we're both waiting for our flight, and he keeps, like, making noises and rustling, leaning forward so I can see his face and all this stuff, and I'm just, like, acting like I don't know who he is, and so I'm just reading, right? And so then finally, my flight leads for his, so I get up to go to my flight, and I look at him, and I kind of, and can I give him one of these, you know, like, I'm so cool, and he's just like, finally, gosh, I thought he was, like, right? What a dork. I am a goober. When I meet famous people, I am just, right? So... Uh, so Morgan Freeman sits down next to me and goes, Hi, I'm Morgan. I go, Hey, Morgan, nice to meet you. I'm Doyle. It was Morgan, right? Okay, good. And my, and, my wife, and my wife is on the other side going, You jerk. He knows you know who he is. Everybody in the English-speaking world knows who he is. He's God. You of all people ought to know God. What is wrong with you? I can't help myself. I'm just a goober. So... Wouldn't it be cool if you just met somebody to just change your whole life? Like, out of that deal, all I got was, you know, a story to tell and some embarrassment. But wouldn't it be cool if, like, you met somebody really cool and they, and they really changed your life? Wouldn't you want to just kind of tell everybody about it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know where this is going. So, uh... uh so that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about a guy that met Jesus, the most famous of all people and the greatest and, uh, and really wanted to tell people because here's what we think. We think that, that Christianity is supposed to change the world and we're supposed to be a part of it. We don't really know how and we kind of leave it up to the big shots like Billy Graham, you know, those guys and just regular folks. We're not quite sure how we fit in this picture. I want to talk to you about Andrew today. Andrew is just ordinary Andrew. He's just a regular guy. As a matter of fact, we don't even see much of him in scripture, and yet he has this incredible impact on, uh, we don't even know much about him, but he has this incredible impact. And I just want to suggest to you that the kingdom of God is not built by famous people, but by regular people introducing people to somebody famous. It's about introducing people to Christ. That's how Christianity works. That's how we're to change the world. So if you want to take a Bible out or if you want to pull up a Bible app, it's in John chapter one. So Andrew was one of the original disciples, but we don't know too much about him. But in chapter one, we find that Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry. and. We find some interesting things here. John the Baptist, who went before Jesus, is pointing to Jesus as being the one. He's, he's, he keeps saying, "I must decrease so that He may increase." In other words, he knows he is just the front man for the Messiah, and so he gets some disciples to follow him. And John has a very specific message. It's kind of harsh. It's repent, turn your heart back to God, um, and 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 you need to do that and get get ready. And and so when he sees Jesus, he points to Jesus and says, "Behold, the Lamb of God." And so on this particular occasion, in John chapter 1, there are two guys with John the Baptist. Uh, one of them is Andrew, that we're going to talk about today. The other one we believe to be John, the author of this book, even though he doesn't refer to himself uh, as the author. We believe probably those are the two with John the Baptist. And then they see Jesus. And here's kind of what that looks like in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 40. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Uh, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, the Lamb of God is is a phrase that we may not understand. But if you were uh, a Jew uh, in the Old Testament times, you would know that a sacrifice needed to be taken, oftentimes a lamb, so that you could be forgiven, taken to the temple sacrifice so you could be forgiven for your sins. So when John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God, he's actually predicting the cross, now, the disciples, or the soon-to-be disciples, didn't necessarily understand what, what that was. They just understood that he was, that was a reference to a Messiah, a deliverer, if you will. They probably thought it was a geopolitical kingdom going to overthrow the Romans' nation of Israel. Um, God was up to something much bigger than that, obviously. And yet they would have understood when they said the Lamb of God, that this wasn't just another rabbi or teacher, that this was somebody um, pretty special. And so when John says that, they pay attention. It goes on in verse 37, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Now, we find some very interesting things in here. One is there is on the part of Andrew a spiritual hunger. The reason he is listening to um, John the Baptist, is, is, he's trying to find some answers. He's trying to find some answers about his nationality. He's always heard that the Jews were great one time and Jerusalem was, was uh, sovereign and all this stuff, and probably on a personal level. I think every person has spiritual um, hunger. They just don't know what to call it, and they're trying to fill it up with something else. And we write songs about it way back in the day. Can't get no satisfaction or something. Find what I'm looking for. There's all kinds of things that we talk about. You can talk to someone. If you wait long enough, you will listen and hear where their spiritual hunger is. Maybe they will express disillusionment with, with the society we live in or with their job or with their family, or maybe even achievement itself didn't really bring, um, you know, the success didn't bring what they're looking for. We all have a spiritual hunger, and no matter what we, try to fill it up with, it's still there. And so Andrew has this spiritual hunger. That's why he's listening to John the Baptist. And if John the Baptist, the one who's making so much sense to you, says, this is the one you really need to follow, then I'm going to go follow him. And so so Andrew and probably John followed Jesus. And and he said, what do you want? And and he says, well, where are you staying? Well, he doesn't care where he's staying. What he's saying is, can we spend some time with you? Can we ask you some questions? Can we learn from you? Will you teach us uh, about this spiritual hunger inside? So here's kind of the point of this. The point of this is that Jesus says, well, come, come and see. Now, here's what happens. Because everybody in the world has a spiritual hunger, the question is who will open the door for them to explore that? Jesus says, come and see. He just opens the door. Come on in. He said. He turns around and said, what do you want? You think Jesus didn't know what they wanted? He wanted them to know what they wanted. What they wanted was time with Jesus so they could ask questions, they could address spiritual hunger. I have, I have a presupposition, which, whether people are in touch with it or not, everybody has spiritual hunger. And it is part of my responsibility as a Christian to listen for that so that I can open the door so they can meet the most important person I ever met right? They don't need to meet me. I'm not that important. But if I can open a door so they can meet the most important person, I the most important person is not my wife. She's number two. Number one is God. He changed my life through Jesus Christ. And so our job as Christians is not to go around preaching and beating people. It's just to simply open doors when we have an opportunity to see somebody's spiritual hunger. It's about just conversations. It's not about memorizing the four spiritual laws and the Roman road and all these things. Those could be fine. It's just about being willing to have a conversation to listen for an opportunity to open a door, a door to a significant spiritual conversation. That's all we have to do. So one of the things I would challenge you to do is kind of evaluate your life, not by whether you got your to-do list done this week or not, or whether you made a lot of money this week or not, but did you have any significant spiritual conversations this week? Did you help somebody... Move toward that door to finding the most important person you ever met to meeting them, Jesus Christ, right? Have you, so, have you had? So, one of the things that we as a church often try to do is set up topics and subjects so that you could bring somebody, and afterwards, you could have a significant spiritual conversation. That's all it is, it's just talking. Well, I don't want to have those because I don't have all the answers. Well, join the club. I don't have the answers either, right? Well, they might ask me a hard one. Say you don't know. I do it all the time. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It's okay because it's not about you, it's about them meeting your friend. Most important person I ever lived, right? It's about that. And so here is what happens. Andrew, Andrew meets Jesus and, and realizes that this is the one. This is the one they've been looking for. This is the Messiah. This is the one who's going to deliver them. He may not understand fully what that means, but this is the one. It's a powerful kind of picture of what happens when somebody meets Jesus. So he has a spiritual hunger, he has a spiritual conversation, and then he has a spiritual awakening. An awakening. If we are to change our world, it's because we have had a, sp- a spiritual awakening, a significant encounter with God, because otherwise we have nothing to share. I was, uh, I was thinking a while back about some people I knew at one point, and, um, and they professed faith. I think they were sincere about wanting to be Christians, and they knew some th- theology, a little bit of Scripture. But oftentimes when I talked to them, I didn't hear much about God. I would hear about how hard life was and how unfair it was, but I never heard about how God allowed that or why did He allow that. Just it was them. It was the equation of life was them plus them plus their circumstances. That was the equation. There was no me plus my wife plus God plus the circumstances. It was just them. And I, and at one point I wanted to say and I couldn't because they were in too much pain at that point and because some things had really gone badly. And I wanted to say, when was the last time you repented? Not, not something you say to somebody who's sad, and, 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 and right? But I wanted to say that. Here, just so you know, um, when, uh, when we kind of join this, Andrew has been spending time with John the Baptist. John the Baptist's message was repent. Repent. What does repent mean? And I think if we're going to change our world, we have to start with this ourselves. Repent means that I look at my life, and I have been doing it without God in the equation that I have been doing my life or some portion of my life without God in the equation. And to repent is to say, that was dumb. <laughs> that's not the best way to live. I'm, I'm sorry I did that. God, forgive me. I want you to be in the equation of every part of my life going forward. And repent is to turn one direction, which is away from God, toward God. To repent. It's, that's what happens in a, in a, a significant encounter with Christ is you repent. You realize that you've been doing a lot of stuff in your life the wrong way. You've been doing it on your own. You've been doing it on your own terms, in your own power, and life isn't meant to be lived that way. And when you meet Christ, you go, oh, I'm sorry, I lived that way. Now I want to live this way. With your help, this is how I'm going to live. And when we repent, and and Andrew turned his whole life toward Jesus. it wasn't just following where where he wanted to stay. He followed him. He began to follow him. He became a follower. (laughs) not just one who believes that Jesus was, but one who actually accepts his guidance and his direction, his empowerment in life. Now, when I say to my friends, do you ever repent? Because I repent pretty regularly. (laughs) God, this part of my life, this attitude here, this was, you were not in the equation of that deal. (laughs) I'm sorry. Please be in the equation going forward how I think about this issue, how I think about this problem, how I deal with, I want you to be in the center of that. So, we begin if we're going to change the world and open doors for people to meet Jesus, we begin with our own personal encounter with Jesus on a regular basis through His Word, through prayer. And as we're doing that, we will think differently about our world and we will have something different to share. We won't feel so sorry for ourselves, we won't feel so under the circumstances. We will begin to include God in the equation of everything that we deal with. And as we do that, the opportunity to open doors for others seems to, seems to increase. So, here's what Andrew does. Andrew, immediately hearing this, has this incredible encounter with Jesus, and he, and he can't wait to tell. And so, in the very next section, we, we find this. In, in, uh, in John uh, chapter 1, verse 40, and then 42 through 42. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who hurt... Now, right there, we have a problem. Andrew, who is Simon Peter's brother. Now, right there, we have a problem. It, it says in verse 41, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him. So now... I want you to think about this for a moment. Something significant happened in Andrew's life. He was a spiritual seeker. He meets the Savior. They had this encounter, and now he wants to tell his brother. But think about who his brother was. Do we have any second-born children in the room? Any second-born? Now, uh, so I don't know for sure if Andrew was a second-born, but his brother was a big personality. There's a pretty good evidence that he lived his entire life in the shadow of Peter, who was Big. He was impetuous. He had a bad temper. He was all over the map. So what is the first thing he does? He, he, now, just think about this. He's in on the ground floor of the Messiah guy, right? He's the first one in. You know who gets the big bucks when the, when the IPO comes, the first guy in? Well, maybe the last guy. I don't know how that stuff works. But anyway, somehow he was in there. Right? So here's the question. Why would he go tell his brother who's going to take the limelight? And he did because there was something more important than his personal kind of um, self-esteem or his personal stature within the community. There was something more important. It says, because we met the Messiah. And by the way, the rest of the time that we read about Andrew, Andrew, Peter's brother, that's how he's known. It's like becoming a mom. You're no longer whatever your name is. You are the mother of whatever its name is, Um, right? You know, cease to be a person. Andrew kind of ceased to be a person, and he became Peter's brother. But he was willing to do that because what he'd experienced was so powerful. He was willing to kind of step into that and, and let somebody else be in charge. or let somebody. He was willing to kind of step back. Let me finish this passage. First thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated as Peter, which translated as Rock. Jesus, right from the get-go, had a significant spiritual conversation with Andrew, which caused him to get his brother, and he immediately looks at Simon, who was not a rock. He was an avalanche. He was all over the place, Peter. I love Peter, because I feel better about myself when I read about Peter. Peter was a mess. He was a mess. And yet Jesus, from the get-go, looked at him and said, No, no, you're going to be a rock. You're going to be solid. You are going to be... And here is Andrew facilitated this. We hear a lot about. We know a lot about Peter. He's up. He's down. We we don't know that much about Andrew except he brought Peter. That's one of the things we know about him. What a powerful thing to be willing to kind of put your ego on hold, your status of community on hold, and introduce somebody. Open that door for somebody else to go and meet Jesus. A few weeks ago, uh, my son and my son-in-law, we were traveling, boys trip, and a little road trip, and so we went up Northern California. We're out in kind of out in some rural areas, and. Um, and just hanging out, and I love the scenery up there and stuff. And, and so one day we were, uh, well, Matt and I, my son-in-law and I, were out riding quads. My, my son has um, toddlers at home, and so he was at home taking a nap. But anyway, um, so, so we came back, woke him up, and got showered and decided to go to dinner. It was a nice little restaurant there. So we went to dinner and sat down, and, and our server came over, a nice young lady. And, and she said, oh, hi, how are you guys? And, Can I take a drink order?" And My name's Swan so and And then she goes, it's like right out of a movie. It's like, uh, you guys aren't from around here, are you? I'm looking for banjos and shotguns. Anybody get that reference? No. Okay, so um, so I'm like, it's kind of like a movie. Like, you all laying around here. From around here, are you? I'm like, no, is that bad? And and she so, so, no, why? She goes, well, you're kind of fancy men. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm rarely speechless. Rarely. Rarely speechless. In that moment, I... I, I didn't know what to do. I'll have a nice tea. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't know what to say to her. So, so she goes, gets her drinks over and goes back. And, and we're sitting there looking at each other, going, What in the world was that? So she comes back and goes, You just kind of said we're fancy men. What did that mean? And she didn't like apologize or anything. She goes, Well, like, you know, like I could tell you guys have showered. <laughs> Is that not normal up here? Uh, but not something we do anymore? Or what? And, and, and she says, and, and well, you, you kind of smell good. Matt, you wore cologne. No cologne when you're out in the rural area. No cologne, Matt. So like, okay. So it was just weird. And so she goes back, and, and we're like looking at each other, going, what, what just happened here? Because we smell good, we're fancy men? We blame it on Matt because he is kind of cute. But um, so uh, the other two, yeah. So, so she comes back, and we start talking to her and find out that, I so, said, well, do you live here? She goes, oh, no, are you kidding me? I live over there in another town, bigger town down the way. and Because uh, that's much better, evidently, I don't know. And, uh, and so here's what happened, though. It was the weirdest thing. She, so we're kind of exploring. She goes, well, my husband, he's not a fancy man. He's a welder. I can do welding. Leave me alone. Uh, I, just, I just smell good when I do it. Leave me alone. So, so uh, and then she says, yeah. Well, I, I should say my ex-husband. Well, he's not called my ex-husband yet, but we're going to be, we're separated. We're, we're going to divorce. And then she walks away. And I'm like, and the three of us are sitting there going. <laughs> it's like, which one's going to swing? Which one? Which one do we get to take this one? Well, I'm the oldest. I get to step in there. So, um, hey, you mentioned a thing about your marriage. Uh, talk to us about it. And so she starts talking. And, and we're all married. Yeah, that sounds like marriage. It's, yeah, the stuff we're going through is kind of normal. I tell you that could we make a suggestion? And by the time we were done with our meal, great meal, by the way, by the time we were done with our meal, we went from fancy men to her agreeing uh, to do something we suggested. We said, you know the town you're from? We know a great church. You know that church? And we name it. And she said, oh yeah, my sister goes there. She's been after me. go, I probably gotta go. I said, you know what? Not only should you go, but I'll guarantee you they'll have somebody on staff there who does marriage counseling. Would you do us a favor? I might have mentioned I was going to leave a big tip, too. Um, it's a good thing to do, Christians. Um, I said, would you promise that you will not only go to church, but that you and your husband will see a marriage counselor that they recommend? Would you, For the sake of your kids, not just for you, but for the sake of your kids, would you do that? Because we've all been married for a while, and, and we know what it's like. It's hard. We understand it, but we think you can make it. And as we finish our meal... Um, this woman who called me a fancy man um, is kind of got a tear in her eye, promising that she will not only go to church, but that she will go to a Christian marriage counselor that the church recommends. And I'm thinking, wow, didn't see that one coming. That was weird, wasn't it? And we're just all laughing. We get back in the car. That's three fancy men. And we drive away going, I can't believe God just did that. I can't even believe that. And you say, well, that just happened to the pastors. It doesn't. It happens to people who are willing to be like Andrew and be willing to open doors when God gives them the opportunity. We didn't tell her we could fix her marriage. We told her who could fix her marriage and how to get to know him better. You see, I believe that's what... Here's what happens. So many of us come to the believe part of Christianity. We struggle through coming to believe that Jesus was who says, was, and then we finally come to grips with that and go, yes, I believe. We think we're done. You're, if you quit then, you're missing out on the best part, the funnest part, the great adventure of the silly things that God is going to have you do that you're going to go, uh, that's incredible. That's how we're supposed to live our lives. And yet we're all afraid. I don't have all the answers. Who cares? You don't need to have all the answers. You just need to know somebody really famous you can introduce them to, right? So Andrew introduces his brother. If you, if you read on in John, you'll find in chapter six that something else happens, and I think it's really interesting because Andrew's faith is growing, and he's not easily defeated in his faith. Some of us are so afraid. Yeah, God is great. God is powerful. God created the earth, but he couldn't help me share my faith with my neighbor because that's just too much. Really? He can take care of your eternity. He can forgive you for your past. Could he not help you have a conversation that might change somebody's life? Could he do that? So here's, here's what happens. It's, uh, it's in, in chapter six, verses five through nine. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked us only to test him for he had already had in mind what he was gonna do. By the way, the crowd was about 5,000 men, plus women, plus children. And so it was a big crowd. Philip answered, Um, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, ordinary Andrew, by the way, listen to this, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, (laughs) Andrew, Peter's brother, you know the one, um, spoke up. Here's a boy, he's introducing somebody else in the picture again, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far uh, will they go among so many? In other words, he doesn't know how this is going to get solved. But again, he's bringing something, a little boy, to Jesus. So I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know what you're going to do with this, but, but this is something. You know what Andrew had? He had an optimistic faith. I read that phrase recently, optimistic faith, and I thought, but that's redundant, isn't it? Is there any other kind of faith you can have? Is it possible to have a pessimistic faith? I mean, I know some Christians that are trying But the reality is faith, by its very definition, is optimistic. If I truly believe there's an almighty God who created the heavens and the earth, and then because we as human beings turn our back on him, he came to reconcile us to God, even dying to forgive us for all the mistakes and sins we've had, and was raised uh, from the dead so that I could be in heaven forever, how can I be anything but optimistic It doesn't mean I'm in denial about the condition of the world or even my life or my body. For that matter, I'm realistic, and yet I'm optimistic because at the end of the day, I know where I'm spending eternity, and I know who's got my life in his hands. I know that I'm optimistic. Here is Andrew. We just got some loaves and fishes. I'm just giving you what I got. That's all I got. I don't know. Sometimes we, I believe, are not allowed to open the door and fully introduce somebody to Jesus. Sometimes we just push the door open a little bit more so a little more light comes in. Sometimes that's all we get to do. But if we'll do that, if we'll have the courage to just push a little bit, God can do some amazing things with that. So now I'll go ahead and call a plumber. At midnight, on Sunday night, the day before Labor Day, because I drilled a hole in a water main and I was on the verge of divorce. <laughs> and I paid through the nose, but cheaper than divorce. So um, this guy gets there about midnight, 1230, and he looks at it and he goes, wow, you've got a real situation there. That's <laughs> kind of why I called you, big guy. And, uh, and so he doesn't tell me what he's going to do. Uh, and it wasn't in a situation that, that could be fixed. It had to be rerouted. Yep, I'm that good. And uh, and so I'm sitting there, well it's twelve thirty at night, nobody else is talking, I might as well talk, keep this guy company, let's get this thing done. And so, you know, I talked to him about, you know, how long he's been a plumber and this, and that and the other thing. And it was Sunday night and and so the topic of religion came up. I don't I don't actually remember how. I said, Well, are you a person a religious person or a person of faith at all? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Okay, and why don't you go to church? Pastors, they're jerks. I'm not lying to you. I'm not lying. And right then I had this thought, God, this is funny. This is funny. I get it. I drilled a hole. I deserved it. I get it. Okay, let's see where this goes. Because, you know, I could have walked away and gone, yeah, I'm glad I'm a banker. Okay. And I had that thought. I thought about it. Then I didn't think he'd buy the banker thing. So uh, so I said, okay, here we go. This is going to be interesting. So uh, why would that be? I mean, I agreed with him first. I agree. Most of them are. Uh, Not all of them, though. But uh, so so why would that be? And he told me just really what reading between the lines, I could tell, was a very heartbreaking experience for him in which he became a Christian as an adult. But the pastor that he joined the church of was teaching heresy and was spiritually abusive, and it was an awful experience. And fortunately, he hadn't given up believing in Jesus. He'd just given up on the church. And I realized in that moment that I wasn't going to get this guy all worked out. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't even get to introduce him to Jesus so Jesus could all work it out that night. All I was going to get to do at best was open the door a little more so that he had a little more light and a little more love and a little more hope. And so I'm going to talk to him about the power. I told him I was a pastor. I'm going to talk to him about the love I'd experienced in the body of Christ and the healing I'd experienced and how the New Testament says that it's as we rub shoulders with each other that we become more like Jesus. It's not just believing or understanding or watching podcasts or listening to podcasts. It was about actually being together. And I just kind of shared my experience. and, And I hoped... And he seemed to receive it. And when we left, he shook my hand and and told me that anytime I had a midnight call, feel free to call him. He'd be glad to charge me a lot of money again. And, uh, And we were friends. And I thought to myself, what a joy. I didn't get to push the door all the way open, but I did get to push it a little bit. And I sensed that maybe he left with a little different attitude. See, sometimes your significant spiritual conversation doesn't seem that significant to you. But maybe later it is. I think right after the first service, a young man came here, and I think he was at first service, maybe at the service. He said, hey, I just want to thank you. You didn't know this, but um, uh, a year ago, um, you said something in a sermon, and, and you know I was here as a philosophy major turned heroin addict, and I was here because um, my dad brought me, and you said something that was so powerful that it, I heard God speak to my heart. And I want you to know I've been sober for nine months, and, and I just went, I just went, Wow. And I said, so what did I say? He goes, oh, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say it quite like that. He, he, I, I don't think he remembers what I said, but he knows that God spoke to his heart in that moment. What you may think is insignificant might just change somebody's life if you're pushing that door open a little bit. It's just about a conversation. That's all it is. I, the last one I want to tell you about Andrew is this. There's this, this thing that happens later on in John. And there's these two guys that come, and they want, they want to see, uh, I don't know if it's two guys, but in my mind there are two guys. In, in chapter 12, verse 20, it said, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. Uh, now let me just pause real quick. If you remember the beginning of Jesus' life, there were some guys from the east who came. We call them wise men. Now we're looking at the other end. This is kind of a parenthesis. There's some people from the west. They are Greeks. Both of these groups are people who were unclean, untouchables for the Jews. There was no way that a, that a student of a rabbi would ever bring a Gentile to come meet their rabbi. That would be to expose him to sin. That would be to expose him, something beneath him. There was no way that would happen. That was just out of the question culturally and religiously. You would not bring a non-Jew to your rabbi. They weren't evangelistic in that sense. That wouldn't happen. And yet, I want you to watch what happens here. And again, little ordinary Andrew. We don't know much about him, except every time we see him, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Look at this. Uh, They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. There's that spiritual hunger I was talking about. Philip went to tell Andrew. In other words, Philip's going, I don't want to tell him no, but there's no way this is happening. And in the very next sentence, we see an interesting thing. Something happened between Philip and Andrew, and all it says is Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. In other words, Andrew looked beyond his own prejudices, his own biases, the difference of these people, and knew that Jesus was bigger than that. And one of the things that we have to do is when we look at people, when we need look beyond our own prejudices, our own bias, our own judgmentalism, and realize that Jesus is bigger than our barriers and our boundaries. And have conversations with people we never knew we could. And open doors for people you never thought you would. So Val, my assistant, was telling me a great story. Uh, part of our Rooted program, which we had a great launch this week, uh, she went through an earlier uh, session of that. And in her service project, they went to um, uh, to, to up to Project 54, up in, uh, and I point that way because the founder is sitting over here. Uh, it's, a, it's a ministry that he started in, uh, in uh, up in L.A. on Skid Row, and they just care for people. And part of their philosophy is they don't just feed them, they have conversation. It sounds biblical, doesn't it? And so you sit down and have a conversation in addition to giving food. She said, so I arrived and all the and the, and all the food serving spots were taken, so I was gonna have to talk to somebody. And he said, so I just went over and parked next to this guy. He didn't look like me, and not even the same race, not in the same socioeconomics, nothing. And I just sat down and said, okay, God, this is up to you. You're gonna have to do something, and sat down and met Michael. And he said, in the course of our conversation, I realized that Michael and I liked the same literature. We like to read the same kind of books uh, outside of faith. They're not Christian books. They're just books. And, and they like the same books. So we had this great conversation. And he said, I knew halfway through the conversation, I was going to come back next time again because I needed to bring Michael a book. And I came back, and I, I found him, and I gave him the book. It was so exciting. We had this great conversation. And at the end of it, he said something to the fact of, okay, I'll see you next time. And he says, I guess I'm going back again. And she said it, kind of like, I can't believe I have to do that. And I can't believe I get to do that. You know I'm going to pray for you guys this week? I'm going to pray that God gives you lots of opportunities to open doors for people, to just have conversation, just to begin to talk about the most important person you ever met, who will be the most important person they ever met. And I'm going to pray that you see open doors, and they have ready hearts, and things change for them and for you. That's my prayer, because I think that's what we're supposed to be doing, and I think that's the funnest part. Let's pray. Lord God, today I thank you for Andrew. I don't know much about him but what I know about him, I admire greatly. Every time I see ordinary Andrew, just average old Andrew, he is introducing someone to you. And so, Lord God, I just pray that maybe, maybe my name will never be known or maybe I'll never be famous, but Lord God, I pray that in your eyes, I'm the person that just opens doors for people to meet you. And if, Lord God, I can do that, I will will be so fulfilled, so happy. I am so grateful for those opportunities. Lord, whether it's the, the spunky server, or the, or the sour plumber, or just the next person I meet this week, thank you for the privilege of opening doors and introducing people to you because you are the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.